A4. And I'm going to start in verse 3 and read through to actually verse 31. So I'm going to read a fair bit of it this morning. It's Matthew 24, verse 3. It says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall I deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, that him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Let us pray. Lord, just as we looking at your word this morning, I just thank you for the, that we have it in our hands this morning, Lord, that we can read it together. Lord, I just ask that you would help me as I'm 
going through some of these scriptures this morning, um, that you just use the things that I have to say this morning uh, for your glory, um, that I would be honoring to you in, in each thing that I say, Lord, and that uh, we would be encouraged through this, we pray in Christ's name. Just before I get directly into some of these things, we've been going over as an introduction, basically, to this chapter. We've spent the last, I don't know, three weeks or so talking about the order of the end times and, and what all this looks like. And I know some of it's gone maybe over people's heads if, if you've never heard it before. Like, this is way too much information to take in all at once. Um, and sometimes you might wonder, how do you fit? I'm going from scripture to scripture to scripture, trying to build a case for, for what I believe and what I'm teaching. You say, how do, how do you piece all these things together? And um, I think I remember the passage. It's in Isaiah 28, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so Isaiah 28, verse 10, and there's a, there's a series of verses, but verse 10 sort of sums it up. It says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon, upon line, here a little, and there a little. And it's just establishing this, we must build our understanding, and we build our doctrines and our, our theology on Scripture, and we piece Scripture together, a little bit here and a little bit there. And as we study these things, I was talking with Jeff the other day, I listened to his, his message from a few weeks back on, online afterwards, and there was something in there. He's talking about the, the axe head that floats, and he talked about the, the prophet cut off the branch and tosses it in the water to cause the, the axe head to, to swim. And I said, you know, I don't know how many times I've read that passage, and not once did I connect that branch to the branch. <laughs> and he made that connection, that that branch is Christ, and then it's a picture of our salvation. I was like, hmm, that was really good. <laughs> but it's, it's those little things, and we're just talking about that, that uh, you look at Jesus' teaching, and he gets into this with the, the Pharisees, and and the Sadducees, actually, about is there a resurrection? And he, he quotes the scripture that says that God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he says, God is the God of, not God was the God of. Therefore, we know that there is a resurrection because these people aren't, it's not a past tense, it's a present tense. And when you look at some of these things, it's like, how much are we missing out of scripture? <laughs> like, there is so much in there. I, it's going to take us eternity to really piece together all of the details and all of the information that God's actually put in here. And so sometimes, you know, we make errors. We try to make some of these connections and we make errors. There's no question about it. But it's there for us and it's, it's there for us to do that. And we are supposed to do that. Um, maybe even just to, as an example of that, and I'll just try to do this quickly, just to, to give you maybe a simple example of this building a bigger picture out of 
multiple passages, and we do it in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation story of those six days of creation. And verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. And so here we have this, the, the, the story of creation. Here's a, a statement of how God did this. But we get into chapter 2, and verse 4 says, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And then he says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And so here... Here's a second account of God creating man. And it just adds a detail in that that wasn't included in that first account. And then it carries on and it talks about the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And he put the man there whom he formed. And he describes Eden and the the land. verse 15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree, and he he gives that instruction of don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in verse 18 he says, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. And then a little more description. And then after this, verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, made he a woman, and brought her into, unto the man. And so, chapter 1, God creates man in his own image, male and female created he them. Well, now we see a God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and then later in this chapter we see God formed woman out of a rib out of Adam. It's adding details as we go. And we see, we could carry on here, chapter 3, we see the story of the sin and the disobeying the command of not eating that fruit. Chapter 4 says Adam knew his wife knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and then it says in the next verse that they bear Abel, his brother, and then we see the story of Cain and Abel, and Cain killing Abel. But in the next chapter, chapter 5, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, their name Adam, (laughs) in the day when they were created, and Adam lived 
130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Well, that's not... Okay, so if I stop there now, we see that there are multiple accounts of God creating man and woman, and it adds detail each time, and this is all close together, so it's easy to, to do, right? And here, the next thing is we see their children. And so the one chapter talks about Cain and Abel, and then the next chapter doesn't even mention Cain and Abel as it's retelling the story. But it, so we have, to, we have to read in different passages different accounts of the same thing to get the whole picture of what is taking place. And that's my point this morning, is that as I'm jumping from Scripture to Scripture throughout the Bible, what we're doing is we're trying to find all the different places where God talks about the same thing. And we try to put those things together as best as we're able to do to try to understand how those things fit together and what the whole picture looks like. I can't understand the creation of man without reading all three of those first chapters. And I can't understand the end times if I only read Matthew 24. Because I need to put that together with the other parts of Scripture that talk about the same thing. Jesus didn't give a, an absolute complete <laughs> description of it here. He just kind of highlighted the thing. He gave a quick outline. Because that's all they needed at that moment. <laughs> But there is more in scripture to that, and we can dig around and, and see some of those things. So that's kind of how we're coming to these conclusions. I just want to, I'm going to try to sort of just walk through what we read this morning here. And just look at some of how this fits together and fits with some other scriptures. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail with it. I find it, it's interesting so, again, verse 3, we get the question, which is the whole premise of why Jesus is talking about this at all. This is, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Here's, here's the question, and Jesus starts to answer it. We get to verse 6. It says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And if I... I think I... It's not what I thought I was saying, but... And, but this is the beginning of sorrows. But you know, if, if we take those couple of verses, verse 6 and 7, and we turn back in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, the book of Revelation very clearly is a sort of a comprehensive picture of what those last days are going to look like. That, and so, but it, it's, a, it's not an easy book. Uh, there's a lot of pictures of, John trying to describe things that he's seeing from a perspective that doesn't allow that very well because he's in 2,000 years ago looking at stuff that's taking place maybe now, maybe in the future um, of technology and events that he just can't describe 
in the, in the same way we would describe them today. And so we have to try to interpret some of this and then we've got to figure out timeline, sometimes very much like what I read in Genesis. He's doing the same thing here. He sort of outlines the whole thing and then backs up and fills in some detail. And <laughs> So we've got to sort of piece that together and try to figure out where each part fits and how it all fits together. And I don't even agree with myself. In <laughs> I, I'll make a statement regarding where something fits and then I'll, I look at it another way. I'm like, no, I think I'm wrong there. <laughs> and I see it both ways. I'm like, well, I don't know which is right. But you don't have to be absolute in some of these things. But understanding that it does fit and that these things will line up, um, especially as we see it playing out when it happens. But you get into chapter 6 here, and it lines up exactly with what Jesus just described in Matthew 24. It says, well, I'll just outline it here. It's like we have the, the seal judgments, and we get the Lamb in heaven is opening the seals, and each seal reveals some form of judgment on man. This is the beginning of the tribulation. This is the this is the very first part of that seven-year tribulation period as it's being described. And so we get that first seal is opened. Verse 2 says, I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And we look at that a little bit, and you see that he's got a bow, but he doesn't have arrows. And we go back into Scripture, and we see that there's some descriptions that that opening scene of the tribulation is one of a declaration of peace. There's a peace treaty to be signed for seven years. But, and I'm not going to go jumping to all those scriptures, but it's describing that there's going to be a lot of death caused by this declaration of peace. And so this is a, he's always conquering and conquer, even though he's coming so-called in peace. There's a lot of a lot of conquering going on and a lot of, of killing going on. And try to match this with Matthew 24. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And the very next seal is also um, the second seal is of war. Um, Verse 3 says, when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And so here we have wars, rumors of wars, all these things going on. Verse 5 is the third seal. It says, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see him. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now we look at that verse, and you have to do a little bit of research as to what the measure is and what the penny is. But as we look back into scripture, we can see, comparing what some of the Jesus parables and whatnot, we understand that that penny is a day's wage, and that that measure of wheat is a day's worth of food. 
And so it takes a day's earnings to pay for a day's worth of food. There's, there's some hard times. There's famines in the land. So, but there's a, I, you look at that sentence also, and it's just in a point of interest. It ends in verse, the end of verse 6 says, And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And they describe oil and wine as being the rich person's things. These are the things associated with wealth. It says, hurt not the oil and the wine. You know what? The, the upper class is not affected by this famine. <laughs> it's like it's not a true famine. <laughs> People, the, the, the public, can't hardly earn enough money to, to buy food for their family. But those who are the ruling class have no lack of anything. It's funny how that works. <laughs> but this is what Jesus is describing. Rumors of wars and rumors of wars. Oh, and this is the, this is the part that I said. It says, See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. You know, I used to read that thinking, well, this is just a description of the time leading up to the tribulation. <laughs> but no, this is, this is how the tribulation actually begins. This is, yeah, don't worry yet. It's not even getting bad yet. <laughs> it looks bad to you, but it's not bad yet. There's, there's a lot worse to come. The end is not yet. And so we've got some time left as we go on here. Sorry, so the, the third thing was the famine. And the fourth seal, verse 7 says, And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth beast saying, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with beasts of the earth. And that beast of the earth could be anything like a you know, your, your, your plagues that were in Egypt that were destroying crops and, and making sicknesses. It could be your microscopic viruses and bacterial infections and, and all kinds of disease. It would be an all-inclusive thing of all of these together. And there is just, it's the, the world is described. It's just like death. Death and hell followed with him. What a, what a horrific picture of what these days are going to be like. But Jesus says all these are the beginning of sorrows. It's just getting started. It's not even the, the bad part yet. And so we see these, these seals in Revelation 6. The descriptions match almost exactly with what Jesus says is going to happen. And he just sort of highlights it, right? Gives, gives the, the basic details and John's giving this more elaborate picture. We'll just go down and we'll start in verse 9. It says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. It says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another you may have noticed lately that families were betraying one another. It's like a precursor to what's going to come. It's a, just a sampling of, of the type of 
a train of family members and, and friends that's going to happen in the future here. But it says, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and they shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And we're back in Revelation 6, and that fifth seal, in verse 9, says, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. It's lining up in order with what this is describing here in Revelation into the tribulation and Jesus is describing it in the exact order of events. We get to verse 11, it says, And many false teachers, or sorry, false prophets, shall rise and shall deceive many. And it says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But we get into this, this stage of the tribulation now, is we're starting to see, it says, Many false prophets shall rise. And he takes kind of a, a bit of an interlude here, there's a side note in verse um, 12 to 14. It talks about, you know, iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. It's like, even amongst all these things going on, the preaching of God's word is going to continue. <laughs> And it's going to go throughout the whole world at that time. Imagine that that is what happens, isn't it? You go into the worst parts of the world to be a Christian, and that's where you have the strongest Christians, <laughs> the boldest Christians, those who... What was that? I heard it just recently. I can't remember what country, Iran or Iraq, some, or Syria, wherever, wherever. Wherever people are being killed for being Christians. When they gather, they, go, they gather and say, I may go, I may lose my head today. I might be killed for gathering with my church this morning. Christians today in North America are worried about what their neighbors are going to say to them, <laughs> about them. Oh, I'm going to church this morning, aren't I? <laughs> That's the hardest ship, the, the worst hardship that we face is a little bit of criticism from our neighbors. It's kind of pathetic when you think about how we think about our persecution compared to, I may be killed this morning because I'm going to church. But this is, those people that are facing that, are so determined to go. <laughs> They're so determined to share that gospel because they, they understand the importance of it. And this is what's going to happen during that seven-year tribulation. Like, Despite the fact that they are going to lose their head, I am going to be killed for doing this. I, they're going to continue spreading that message. When we get to verse 15... Matthew 24. It says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, 
Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Don't you hate that bracketed statement? Whoso readeth, let him understand. I don't know how many times I read that. I'm like, no, I don't understand. <laughs> What's it saying? But we need to, we go back to the book of Daniel. And it, he even tells us that this is, this is where to go look. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Right, well, let's go read the book of Daniel and, and see what he has to say about it. And there's, he's talked about it in at least three different places. I won't, we won't read the, the whole book this morning and the whole context of it. I just turned too far back for Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. It says, and he, he is the prince that shall come, the one that cuts off the Messiah. It says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. There's, there's, we read it, the abomination of desolation. All right? So here's what he's talking about. Even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So we need to grasp that this is that 70th week in that prophecy of Daniel. And in the middle of that week, this is interesting, isn't it? It says he's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For the last 2,000 years, nearly, there has been no sacrifice because there has been no temple. There has to be a temple in existence for this to be fulfilled. You know what's happening in Israel right now? Is they're gathering every, all the pieces. They've actually established all of the stuff required to build the temple, and they're, trying, they're getting that permission. The mosque that they say is on the Temple Mount, they now believe that there's a spot right next to it where the temple actually was. And so there's, they're trying to make a place where they can build that temple. And that's the beginning of verse 27 is probably that. It says, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. It's like, you know what? Here, here's your chance. You can build this temple and you can start doing those sacrifices again. And the Jews are going to start doing those sacrifices. But halfway through that week, halfway through that seven-year period, he's going to break that covenant. He's going to cause the sacrifices to cease. And for an overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. If we go over to chapter 11, he talks about it again. In verse 31, it says, And the arms shall stand, it's kind of in the middle of a thought here, but the arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice. Here we get the context that it's the same instance that we're talking about. And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And one more time, 
in chapter 12 and verse 11. It says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be be 1,290 days. And so it even gives the number of days, and you work that, that's three and a half years. And so, again, we, in the middle of the week, this, the, the sacrifice is stopped, and this abomination that makes desolate is set up. Well, there's not a lot of detail there, is there? But if we go to the book of Revelation, we get to chapter 13, it starts to, to make a little bit more sense. And as we're reading through this book of Revelation, we see the setting up of the Antichrist, or the beast. I don't know how much of this to read. It's hard to, to not read the whole chapter to see the whole picture. But uh, Verse 2 says, and The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And then as we go down, to verse 13, picks, picks up again, it says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And it describes he's going to deceive with great wonders. And here's this beast being set up. And he's going to stand in Christ's place, just calling himself Christ, in the temple at the midpoint of the tribulation. And so here's that, lost my spot, um, that abomination of desolation, if, if, I can, if I'm piecing it together correctly, I believe I am, that that is the Antichrist, what we call the Antichrist, the, the beast of Revelation, setting up, breaking that covenant halfway through the tribulation, and putting himself there in the place of Christ, calling himself Christ. And here is an abomination that causes desolation. Because if you don't take his mark and bow and worship him, you're destroyed, you're killed. And so we see the connection again. What's going on in what Jesus is describing in Matthew 24 matches the initial prophecy that started in Daniel. It matches the description as it takes place and unfolds in Revelation. All these things connect together and we can see the bigger picture as we put line upon line and precept upon precept together here. If we jump down to to verse 21 in Matthew 24, it says, For then shall be great tribulation. What was before this? The description of death and hell follows with it. Like everything's, everyone's dying. It's all war and famine. And like, 
it sounds pretty horrific already, but that's, Jesus said, this is the beginning of sorrows. It's going to get worse. And so at that midpoint of that tribulation, he says, then shall be great tribulation. This is just kind of tribulation leading up to this, but it's going to get worse. Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. He says, except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. God's still watching his people, protecting his people. Controlling. Even though he's, this is God's judgment. We, we really established that this is God's wrath being poured out on man for disbelieving. But even as that's happening, he's allowing Satan to just be unleashed on earth and horrific things going on. God never relinquishes control. It's never out of his hand where he he can't protect his people and he continues to protect his own even throughout all of these terrible things that are going on. Verse 24 says, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and this is part of what we saw in, in Revelation 13, and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. If it were possible. You know, and we, we read this next part, and this is, to me, the really telling part. Says, Behold, I've told you before. <laughs> Wherefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, he's in the desert, Go not forth. Behold, if they say, Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You do not have to go and find him because you are going to see him when he comes. There is there's no hiding spot when he comes. And so you, if you have... If you hear a rumor, Christ came, he's in the temple in Jerusalem, come and see. And you start turning on your TV or whatever, <laughs> hopping on a flight to go and see, you're looking at the wrong thing. And it says, it'll be so convincing. He is going to be so powerful. He's going to do such amazing miracles that you, it's going to be convincing. Those who, he says, if it were possible, it would deceive even the elect. If it were possible. God's elect in this, it's like those who actually believe Christ, those who see it for what it is, they know better. We should know better. When we see false signs, false miracles, as a Bible student, I should be like, no, that doesn't match what it says here. This isn't the true, this isn't God working, this is something else. We should be able to recognize those things. And it says that if it were possible, it would be deceived. Like, no, it won't be possible to deceive God's elect at that point. They will see all of it and they're like, wow, that looks awful close to what I thought it was. But no, it doesn't fit because it says right here that it's going to be as lightning cometh from the east and shineth unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And it 
describes in a couple of verses here. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. Oh, no, I'm going to see him when he comes. It's not going to be I have to go and find, turn something on to, to see it happening. It's like, you are going to see it. There's, there's no hiding it when he actually comes. I skipped a verse in there somewhere. Verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. This whole thing, as it comes to an end, the end of that seven years, that last moment is going to be like all that took place leading up to that moment was, was nothing. It was like, well, that was the good life. I remember when, right? When I could buy that day's worth of food for a dollar, for a day's wages, right? Like, oh, don't you remember when? It's like Egypt, uh, Israel thinking back to Egypt, right? All oh, the leeks and the onions. Remember how good it was when we whipped every day? <laughs> but we had food. This is that's what it's going to be like. It's like you're looking back to this horrific time thinking, man, that was good back then. Because it's going to get worse. At the end of those days, the sun's darkened. I wonder what causes the sun to be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars to fall from heaven. Some would point to like a nuclear disaster, like all-out nuclear war, everything's destroyed, right? But I don't think that's God's judgment. It could be, but there's also the description of these horrific earthquakes, and I'd more expect it's like the volcanic activity and all the earthquakes. It talks about like the islands are going to go into the sea, the mountains are going to fall. Like the whole world gets reorganized and destroyed. Like, it's not going to look like all the buildings are going to be flat. Everything's gone that we recognize as our world around us today. I think that's God doing that. Not through men's nuclear power, but I think this is God's world just basically self-destructing, destroying itself from within. And, it, you know, they talk about all the ice ages in the past. I don't necessarily believe all that they say, but the, this description of the volcanic activity and the ash that goes up, which blocks the sun and causes an ice age. These are the kinds of things that I, I would picture God uses in this time of judgment. And so the end of this seven years is just horrific in what takes place. It says, then, then, when all that's finished, shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. You gotta wait till it's beyond bad. Till all these things are fulfilled. We gotta, we gotta get to the, the end of the description and revelation of all the things that are gonna take place before we're gonna see Christ coming. But we'll see Christ coming. Those, those there at that moment, we'll see Christ coming. And so, it's a picture, it's just a horrific picture of those end times. And God 
is using all of that still for his purpose to redeem a remnant of people and specifically a remnant of people of the nation of Israel. But it's not exclusive to that. It's like it's still open to, to the Gentile world and the non-Israel people who see and understand and can still come to God through all that. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, as we look at these things and the events of this seven-year period of tribulation that is described in various places through Scripture, uh, there's not a lot of encouragement to be had in those things except that we see your hand still working through those who have put their trust in you, Lord, and are spreading your word throughout the world, and, and Lord, that you are still protecting that remnant of people. But not all. It also describes many have, will be losing their head for their faith, Lord. And so, Lord, as we go through our day-to-day lives, help us to not be ashamed of you and your word. Help us to stand willing to suffer for your sake, Lord. Help us to take that from, from this, that the little bit of suffering that we experience, the little bit of ridicule that we face in our lives, is nothing compared to what it could be, Lord. So help us to understand these things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.